All right. Hey, it is incredible to be here with all of you this morning. As Timmy said, my name is Stephen Jones, and I'm from Candeo Church in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And hey, Mason, Mason's there too. That's great to see you, man. Uh, It is an incredible thing when you walk into a church that you've never been at and your wife won't sit at you because there are people in this room that she'd rather sit with, girls that she discipled in Cedar Falls that like, you know, our hearts are just full of love for you in this church. There's so many people that we know personally and love, but you as a whole, we love you and we love that you are here in Cincinnati, loving this city, loving this campus. And it's been an incredible weekend for Natalie and I and our family to get to explore your city. And so last night I asked Seth, I was like, hey, Seth's my brother. I said, hey, what time does church start tomorrow? He says, it starts at 10.02. I'm like, well, that is awesome. And I don't know if anyone's explained to you why Mercy Hill starts at 10.02, but it's a reminder from Luke 10.2 that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that harvesters, laborers would be raised up. And so we've been running around the city and yesterday we were on the bell going to a restaurant somewhere, Seth was taking us. And I'm just seeing this city that all of you love, that all of you are a part of. And I'm looking at one individual on this uh, tram or whatever you guys call it, the, the bell. I'll just stick with that. I'm looking at this guy. And my heart is breaking because in Matthew 9, when Jesus quotes that in Matthew, it says that he looks at the crowds and his heart is filled with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm looking at this guy who looked like a young professional. And I began wondering to myself, has anyone ever shared the hope of Jesus with him? In a city of 2 million people, will he ever have the chance to encounter someone who has the hope of Christ? And as I'm wondering that, my heart began just to burst with joy because of you because I'm looking at a room of laborers who have been convinced of the gospel, who have been gripped by the love of Jesus, and who have said, we are going to see Jesus shine brightly in this city. And guys like that individual on the bell, they have the, the, the hope that they might hear the gospel and respond in faith and to see what they were created for, which is a relationship with their creator. And so as we've been running around, we got to view and got to look at the city. Our hearts are full of love for all of you and full of love for this city that you are doing ministry in. So as we start this morning, I know it's now 1025, but I wanna pray the 1002 prayer over all of you and then we'll open God's word together. God, it was compassion that moved Jesus to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And God, in that he revealed to us that there are more people in this world who are ready to hear the gospel and respond to it in faith than there are people to share the gospel. And God, that breaks our hearts. But God, what an amazing thing that the most exciting thing in Cincinnati this year wasn't Joe Burrow and the boys, but it's that a new gospel outpost was started in this community. A gospel outpost that is proclaiming boldly that there is salvation in one name and one name only, that is the name of Jesus Christ. And already individuals have come and put their faith in Jesus. There have been people in this room who have been discipled and have finally began to find freedom from sins that have entangled them their whole lives. And God, there are people who are getting vision and and hope for how you might use them in this life. And God, I pray that you would continue to use Mercy Hill in a powerful way to see lives transformed as people encounter you, as people encounter the hope and mercy that we experience in Jesus. God, I pray that this morning that would happen again as we open your word. 
that spirit, you would cut to our hearts and convict us of areas that we need to be convicted of, that you would comfort us with the gospel and the grace that's in Christ, and that each of us would come with a fresh vision of your glory and your greatness and your goodness that calls us to a life of faithfulness. Amen. So Natalie and I have been married almost six years. We've got three kids. Isla is four. Jack is just about to turn three. And the crew is eight months old. And we love our kids. They're a ton of fun. So Isla, in a couple weeks, is going to start soccer. And I don't know about you, but it takes a horrible person to not have just a ton of happiness at a four-year-old soccer game. Like, there's just little, you know, minions running around, all just clumped around the ball. It's hilarious watching. So I cannot wait as a dad to go watch my daughter play soccer because I'm just gonna laugh the whole time. It's just gonna be like the best comedy show of, of all time, watching humans who have no control over their body try to do athletic things. So that is coming up for us, watching Isla play soccer. Uh, but one of the things I'm hoping is that just, there's kind of all these funny stories of four-year-olds playing soccer. So for instance, my cousin, when she was playing soccer as a four-year-old, one of the things that she did is she would get distracted by every dandelion in the field. And she'd just run around and she'd just pick dandelions, would just lose sight of the entire game, and she's just out there picking dandelions, completely distracted from what was going Going on around her. And so, you know, I don't know if they've thought about this. I don't know if it was this competitive, but the best thing that the other team could have done was just plant a bunch of dandelions in their field. And they would have won every game against her because she just picked dandelions, just completely distracted from what was going on in the game. So I don't know what Isla's gonna do. She's probably gonna kick the ball into the other team's goal, score for them. It's gonna be great. We'll see. But we're gonna have some good stories. But here's the reality. There's a sense in which we can laugh at a four-year-old picking dandelions, doing silly things, but we are more similar to my cousin picking dandelions than we realize. We're more similar to a four-year-old being distracted from what's going on around them and the game that they're a part of by inconsequential small things than maybe we realize. And what John's gonna expose for us this morning is that each one of us have things in this life that are like inconsequential dandelions that are pulling us away and distracting us from the, the real game, from what really matters. And so if you've got a Bible, 1 John 2 is where we're gonna be at this morning. And I have yet to meet a Christian when I ask him, I don't know if I've asked a Christian this, but if I were to ask a Christian this, hey, do you want to follow Jesus your whole life? I've yet to meet someone that that is not what they want to be true of them. I've yet to meet someone who wouldn't say, you know, no, I don't wanna follow Jesus my whole life, right? There's not, there are not genuine Christians who say, this is just a temporary thing. I'll see what the next world religion I wanna follow after this is. No, each one of us who are in Christ, we want to follow Jesus for a lifetime. But here's, let me ask you this then. If I gave you a window into the end of your life, maybe you're 85, maybe you're 90, and I were to show you that you actually fell away, that your faith was derailed, what would be the inconsequential dandelions of the world that would have pulled you away? If you had to suspect, what would be the worldly love that would pull you away and distract you from following Jesus? What is the thing in your life right now that left unchecked would derail your faith? That's the question John wants us to ask this morning. And to do that, he's gonna show us portraits of faithfulness, and then he's gonna show us the enemy of faithfulness. 
So in John, 1 John 2, 12 through 18, he starts by giving us portraits of faithful living, people who are faithfully following Jesus and making it to the end. And then he's gonna show us the greatest threat to being a faithful follower of Jesus. So starting with the portraits of faithfulness, look at verse 12. It says this, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. First, these portraits of faithfulness. If we wanna follow Jesus to the end, if we don't wanna be distracted, we need to see what faithfulness looks like. So John starts by kind of these three groups who give us a picture of faithful living. So he says, here's the reason I'm writing to you. And you kind of get this unique poem right in the middle of the letter of 1 John that pops up. And he kind of pauses and he begins to state some of the reasons he's writing to them. Right, he says, I'm writing to you little children. Why? Well, he says, since your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. Later, he says in verse 14, because you have come to know the Father. So little children. Then he says, fathers, because you have come to know the one who's from the beginning. Then he says, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. Later, he says, because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. Why is John writing? Well, because he is encouraged by these believers spread across the Asian churches and their faithfulness. These are three groups in various stages of their walk with Christ, and each one is being faithful. And he's, he's filled with encouragement because of their faithfulness. Little children, these would have been new believers, people who had just come to the faith. And what does he say is so encouraging to him from them? Well, because their sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Why else 14? Because they have come to know the Father. He's saying, I am filled with encouragement because you have faithfully responded to the gospel call. Because you, you've heard the, the truth of the gospel, responded in faith, and now you are in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You have come to know the Father. He says he's encouraged by fathers. Why? These would have been mature believers. He says, you have come to know the one who's from the beginning. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is different than the knowledge of the new believers, the ones that have come to know the Father. This is a different type of knowledge. It's more of the experiential, relational knowledge that a couple who's been married for five decades has of one another, right? My grandparents were married for 50 years, and there was a depth to the knowledge that they had of one another because they had walked together through all of life's challenges, all of life's experiences, and there was a deep, intimate knowledge they had of one another, these mature believers, these fathers of the faith, these mothers of the faith, they had a deep and profound experiential knowledge of God. They had come to know the one who's from the beginning. They had walked with God. They'd seen him provide through all of the hardness, through all the difficulties of life. They'd seen the truths that they heard about God in his word play out in real life. And there was this deep, profound knowledge they had of God. And because of that, because they had faithfully walked with God for years and years, John is encouraged by their faithfulness. What encourages him about the young men? Well, he says in verse 13, he says, because you have conquered the evil one. 
And then later in 14, because you are strong, God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. These young men, they would have represented growing believers. These aren't new believers. These aren't mature believers. These are believers in the middle of the race. Believers who are growing, who are laboring to see the church built, to serve one another. And he says he's encouraged by them. Why? Because they conquered the evil one because they were strong and God's word remained in them. Now, what does it mean that they had conquered the evil one? Well, I don't think John is saying that in like a final sense, they had conquered evil. But more, John is probably remembering what he heard with Peter and uh, James when Jesus told him in Matthew 16, 18, that he would build his church and upon this rock, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He's thinking about the church and how we are on the offensive attack against the gates of hell and how evil will not conquer the church. And through these believers' faithfulness, they are conquering evil. Not that it's just completely done, but that conquer the evil is not prevailing against them. And in the midst of laboring for Christ, they are remaining strong. They are enduring. And they are remaining faithful to God's word. God's word is remaining in you, and this encourages him. These are three portraits of new believers, growing believers, mature believers who are walking faithfully with God in the season of faith that they are in, and it is filling John with encouragement. So these are portraits, these are descriptions of the caliber of faithfulness that these believers had. But it's not just a description of them, it's also a call to us. It's a call to us to walk with faithfulness. So what is the call to us? Well, new believers. I'm thinking of those of you in this room who've given their life to Christ in the last 12 months. What does faithfulness look like to you right now? Well, what was the encouragement that John just gave them? First, your sins are forgiven. Do you know what the very first thing that Satan will do to attack a new believer's faith is? Call into question the forgiveness of their sins. That's the first thing Satan attacks when you are a new believer. You have an incredible, profound experience where you put your faith in Jesus and then the, the first lie that will pop into your head. Did Jesus really forgive you of that? That's the first thing that Satan will call into question. You'll be excited and maybe for a little bit you will walk in freedom from that sin that defined your old self, but then you fall back into it and you'll wonder, am I actually a new creation or am I just the same old person that I've always been? This is the first thing that is called into question. So new believer, to remain faithful means first and foremost, remember that your sins are forgiven. There is no one in this room that you need to impress. God's love for you is not contingent on your obedience. When you failed in that sin again that you thought you were finally gonna be free from forever, God's love for you didn't move an inch. Remember, your sins are forgiven. That is a mark of faithfulness. Remembering, that is faithfulness. What else is, it, what else is a mark of faithfulness for a new believer? Well, look back at verse 14. What was the second encouragement? It says, you have come to know the Father. You now know the God you were created for a relationship with. And faithfulness now looks like growing in that knowledge of God. One of the most important things I did in college when my faith was exploding was I began to open up my Bible. 
And I literally just went to the table of contents and just started checking off books of the Bible because I began just, I had such a hunger to know who God was. I just began reading it. And between my freshman and sophomore year, I read the whole Bible. And it was one of the most profound, impactful things I did as my faith was exploding. We need to know God and hear from him from his word and hear from him in prayer. If you are a new believer, commit yourself to knowing God through his word. That's true of all of life, but that is especially true now. What does faithfulness look like for fathers? What does faithfulness look like for the mature believers among us? Well, it looks like enjoying our, the intimate relationship you have with God and the fruit that comes from that and then sharing the fruit of that knowledge of God with others. I think of my grandfather. He's now 86 and he's been following Jesus since he was 14. And first, faithfulness looks like he, he enjoys the profound, deep relationship he has with God. My grandma died seven years ago, and it is, a, it is so true that his closest friend is Jesus. And you could just tell about the way he talks about Jesus, that he is just enjoying the fruit of walking faithfully with God for six decades now. That's faithfulness. But not only is he delighting in his relationship with God, he is turning around and sharing the wisdom that he has from walking with God for so long. Mature believers, fathers and mothers of the faith, share with us what you know about God. Share with us what you've learned. This is why we don't start churches that are just made up of college students, but are multi-generational because there's a wealth of wisdom that you have that we have to know, that we have to have. At Candeo, one of the common questions that we get asked as an elder team at, from the maybe 60 and up crowd is this. Hey, what is my role in a next generation church? Your role is to help the little children and the young men, the new believers and the growing believers know what you have learned about God from walking with him faithfully. To impart wisdom to us. To tell us things about God that can only be known experientially. What does faithfulness look like for young men, for growing believers. Well, conquer the evil one. Remain focused on the task. Remain focused on not allowing the gates of hell to prevail against the church. Labor so that the church may be built up. Abide in God's word. Remain, allow God's word to remain in you. Be strong and endure. Here's the reality. Maybe when you were a, a new believer, there was an excitement, a joy, an enthusiasm that you'd never experienced about spiritual things. But now that you're in your mid-30s, working, have kids, just experiencing life, it's not as easy, right? There are days where you're like, wow, this is a 50-year-long journey. And that initial enthusiasm, well, that wears out once you have toddlers and junior hires and high schoolers and a job and a mortgage and all these things. Laboring for Christ is not an easy thing. It comes with challenges. Sharing the gospel is not an easy thing. That can be uncomfortable. Sacrificing your time and energy and resources for the sake of the church, that is not an easy thing. And there's days when that is hard. But here's what the portrait of faithfulness is. Be strong. Allow God's word to remain in you. 
Stay focused on the task. Conquer evil. Don't be distracted by these things that pull us away, but continue to labor so that the gospel can take hold in the lives of people and that the church can be built. These are portraits of faithfulness. This is what John is encouraged by these believers by, and it's what he's calling us to, to have a vision of our life to make it to the end, to be found faithful in every season that we are walking through. But here's the reality. There is a singular threat to walking with faithfulness for each of these groups. There is a threat that John is aware of that if these believers do not navigate, will completely take them out of the game, that will derail their faithfulness, will prevent them from being faithful. And that threat, that singular urgent threat is the love of the world. If you wanna be faithful as a new believer, as a growing believer, as a mature believer, you've got to be aware of this enemy, the love of the world. Look at verse 15. Here's the enemy of faithfulness. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. If you want to be a faithful follower of Christ, do not love the world. This is the greatest threat to you enduring to the end. To be pulled away by the things that this world says you need. So here's how he starts, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't be captivated by the things that this world has to offer. Don't trade the things that have eternal worth for that which is only temporary. Don't be distracted by these dandelions in this world that are inconsequential and small, but pull you away from the game that's going on. Do not love the world. Now, to be abundantly clear here, the operative word there is love. It is one thing to enjoy the gifts that God has given us in this world. It's another thing to love them. There's a time and place that we can appropriately enjoy gifts. It's right for us to want to provide for our family and to enjoy our jobs and to enjoy the relationships that we have with other people. It's right for us to go to DeVue and look down and see an amazing city and be like, wow, this is awesome. It's okay to cheer for the Bengals and their one good season in 40 years <laughs> and their one good season for the next 40 years. They are not going to the Super Bowl next year, I tell you what. It's not gonna happen. Sorry, Joe Burrow and the boys. This, it was kind of a one-trick one pony. This was the year. Get him out! <laughs> Just keep, take the mic, Ernie. Kick me out. Shut it off. Yeah, I, I'm a huge Chiefs fan. And so, yeah, I came in with a lot of bitterness. So I just drove, we were driving south on 71, head into Covington, and I looked down, I was like, well, at least our practice feels a lot better than that. <laughs> so, okay, but it didn't matter because you guys beat us in the AFC Championship and the regular season. Wow. wow. So I guess uh, outdoor practice field, maybe there's something to that. Okay. I didn't hear what you said, but I, let's, let's keep moving. Who day? <laughs> 
it's, it's right for us to enjoy that. It's right for us to celebrate with, with the city of Cincinnati as they make it to the Super Bowl. It's great. Last night, I had an amazing burger. I was like, this is delicious, right? It's, there's a time and place to enjoy gifts. But on Christmas Day, when my parents gave me gifts, what was it supposed to do? It was supposed to cause me to be filled with gratitude and love for the gift giver, not to be obsessed and captivated with the gift. Here's what he's talking about. Don't be obsessed and captivated with the gifts of this world. Don't love the world or the things in it. Now, why? Well, he's gonna give us two reasons why we should not love the world. The first is this. Look how he finishes verse 15. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That means you cannot love God and love the world at the same time. That is impossible. It is impossible to be captivated by God's glory and captivated by the things of this world at the same time. Now, why do we get that confused? It's because so often we think, well, I can love God and follow him and also love these things. Can't I do both? But why doesn't that work? Well, probably the best illustration I ever heard came from one of our lead pastors. His name's Mark Arendt uh, in our network. He said this. Here's how, this is kind of the story he described. He said, imagine it's my wedding day. And we go through the whole ceremony. We say our vows, the kiss. We walk down the aisle. People are throwing rice and bubbles and lighting sparklers, and it's awesome. And we get to the limo, and I look at my new wife, my new bride, and I just say to her, I love you so much. And I open the door, and inside the limo are all my former girlfriends. Be a bad situation, right? Like, that would not go over well. Natalie, how would you have felt? No, she's shaking her head, right? I would have looked at her. I said, I love you so much. Open the door, all of my former girlfriends. And Natalie would have said, what is this? What do, you, what do you mean you love me? What is this? I'm like, well, Natalie, wait, 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 wait. I love you more than all of them, but I still want them to come with us, right? That's okay. I love you the most. You have the majority of my love, but I still, like, I want, she said, no, if you love me, it's not enough to just love me the most. You have to love me only. Real love requires exclusivity. Here's what we do. We fill our hearts with the lovers of this world, like a limo full of ex-girlfriends. And when God begins to poke at those, we say, whoa, 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 God. I know I love money, but I love you more than money. He begins to poke at our love of comfort. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I love you the most. I, just, I also love comfort. He begins to poke at our love of people's approval. Whoa, whoa, God, I love you the most. I, just, I also really love when people think well of me. He begins to poke at these lovers and we begin to get defensive. God, I love you the most. And he says, it's not enough to love me the most. You cannot love the things of this world and have my love too. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not, a love, it's not enough to love me the most. It's not enough to give me the priority spot of your heart. I want all of your heart. Loving God is exclusive. 
And what are these things? What are these lovers that we fill our hearts with? We'll look at verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. This isn't an exhaustive list, but he gives us three categories to think through. The lust of the flesh. These are the things in this world that promise us pleasure, momentary happiness. It might be sex, it might be alcohol, it might be food and gluttony, it might be anything that just says this is the source of pleasure in your life. And from the lust of the flesh, we love them and we pursue them and go after them. The lust of the eyes, these are things that we look at thinking, if I just had that, then I would know I matter. If I just had that promotion, if I just had that house, the things that my eyes see that I don't have, that I think if I had, my life would matter, that I would have the approval of other people. The pride in one's possessions, filling our life, making us feel good with material things, with more money. And yes, this looks like kind of overt greed, but for many of us, this is a much more subtle and pervasive issue that I'm not so much just spending money I shouldn't spend on things I don't need, but more I'm looking to money as my source of security. Why are you so obsessed with your budgets and 401ks? For many of us, it's not because we are trying to be faithful stewards of God's resources. For many of us, it's because we see our 401k as our source of security. That if I could just get that to a certain place, then I'd know all of my needs and Safety is met completely. And we're looking towards the things of this earth, the possessions, as our ultimate sense of safety. That's what it means to be prideful of possessions. I'm trusting in that for my security rather than the ultimate source of security, which is God. And so God does tell us, be wise with our resources. We should do budgets. We should care about our 401ks. That's wise. That's being a faithful steward but we should not obsess about them in a way to get, make that thing my ultimate source of safety and security. These are the lovers we fill our hearts with. And God is saying, you cannot love me and love those. Loving me is an exclusive love. What's the other reason? Verse 17. Why are we not to love the things of this world? Verse 17. And the world with its lusts are passing away but the one who does the will of God remains forever. These other lovers in our life, they are temporary. They're like dandelions. And so many of us are trading that which remains forever for that which is passing away. What remains forever? Doing the will of the Father, being faithful, walking with faithfulness as a new believer, walking with faithfulness as a father or mother of the faith, walking with faithfulness as a growing believer, laboring to see the church built, laboring to see the gospel take root in your neighborhoods and in your work, doing the will of the Father, that's what remains forever. But we trade that which will remain forever for that which is passing away. And when we do that, we are just as foolish as a four-year-old on a soccer field picking dandelions. But the consequence isn't a lost soccer game. It's a life wasted. It's a life derailed from faithfully following Christ. It's a life that has lost sight of that which is eternal. 
and traded it for that which passes away. Now, where is all this coming from for John? Right? It's kind of this unique break in the letter where he starts this poem and then there's just this pastoral urgency that we don't love the things of the world. Where is this coming from for John? Well, you've got to realize that at this point in John's life, he's in his mid-90s. He was called as a disciple from fishing, him and James, the son of Zebedee's, when they were teenagers. So he has probably followed Jesus for 80 years at this point. And at this point, he is the only disciple still alive. Every other disciple has died a premature death because of their commitment to Jesus. After John watched Jesus ascend from heaven, he committed his life to following Jesus and being a laborer. He planted at least six churches all across the Asia Minor. 10 years later, he watched his brother James beheaded for the faith. He himself, when he was in Rome, they tried to kill him. He was thrown into a boiling vat of water. Dominician, he exiled him to Patmos in AD 70. He survived that, came back, and began to write letters to churches, wrote his gospel, wrote Revelation. And he has watched scores of people say, this world is passing away, and I'm going to hang on to that which remains forever, even if it costs me my life. He himself has said, the world is passing away, but I'm going to hang on to that which remains forever, even if it costs me scars on my body. And at the same time, he has watched countless others who looked at the world and said, that is the thing I love, and who have traded that which remains forever for that which passes away. Here is an old man in his 90s looking at us and calling us to a life of faithfulness because it's the only life worth living. Everything else passes away. Only one thing remains forever. That's doing the will of the Father. What are you trading? What is the thing if you were to get knocked out of the race? What would it be that knocked you out? What is the lover that you are trying to hang on to in your heart? The things of this world, they pass away. Doing the will of the Father remains forever. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be little children, young men, young women, young fathers and mothers of the faith who are walking in faithfulness to you, who are strong and courageous even when walking with you is hard. God, as young believers, that we would know that our sins are forgiven, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, and that those in this room who are mature believers who have walked with you for a lifetime would leverage those years for something that has eternal worth and not trade it for something that is temporary. God, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas that we are tempted to love that are not you. Things that pass away who are on, that are only here for a moment at the cost of that which remains forever. God, let us be people who are found faithful. Amen.